Farm Bits Podcast, a product of Nebraska Extension Digital Agriculture. I'm Jackson Stansel. And I'm Samantha Teton. And we come to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture. Through interviews and panels with experts, producers, and innovators from all sectors of digital technology, we hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. We're excited to welcome back Dr. Joe Luck, Associate Professor at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln for Episode 3 of the Farm Bits Podcast. Dr. Luck is a Precision Ag Extension Specialist and has had experience working with yield monitors and data since his time as a graduate student at the University of Kentucky. For those of you who listened to our first episode, he and Laura Thompson dove into the relevance of digital agriculture and technology adoption. On today's episode, we are going to be taking a look at yield data quality and calibration, and we'll even get to a discussion of how yield data is being used and what to be on the lookout for in the future. Some of you may be listening to this podcast from your combine or while driving a grain cart, so hopefully this is timely information for you. And if it is, happy harvest to you. And now here's our interview with Dr. Joe Luck. Dr. Luck, what do you think is the current most common practice for Nebraskans across our state when it comes to how they currently calibrate their yield monitor? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough question, uh, just not, not being able to get out and visit with a lot of growers, but um, I think most of the growers out there are trying to do a pretty good job of calibrating, you know, against manufacturer specifications, but but I also know that I've talked to a lot of uh, folks that they kind of think more is better when it comes to calibration. So one of the key points of good yield monitor calibration is when you do a calibration load and remembering that, you know, if I've got salmon, high moisture corn, I want to do a calibration for that crop and that moisture. I want to try and hopefully my yield monitor allows me to do multiple calibration loads. So something from a really high flow to a really low flow, I only need about 3,000 to 5,000 pounds of grain per calibration load. And whether it's, it's just uh, access to a scale, a lot of times I think that's part of the problem. Some people don't have, uh, you know, a, a grain cart with a scale or a weigh wagon, something like that. A lot of folks will harvest maybe a thousand bushels. They'll harvest an entire truckload and take that to the, when they take it to the elevator, they'll weigh it and then they'll put that in for their calibration load. And that is a, that's a mistake when it comes to the calibration process. You know, if you think about that high flow calibration load that I want to run, I want a, a quick, again, you know, that you're talking 50 to 90 bushels. That's all you need. I want that run at a very high flow rate, very consistently high flow rate over that short period of time. And I want to get that weight and get it in the system. And, and if you can do that for each load, then technically the calibration process shouldn't take too long. But again, I think a big part of it's just access. Do we have access to a, a weigh wagon or a grain cart with scales? So. Enough to follow up on that, you know, you, you say you want these, these smaller batches and I guess when we're thinking about yield monitor calibration, we're looking at ideally a three point calibration for yield monitors at least. And so is the best way of, of getting that different amount of grain flow uh, in those periods of time uh, to get those different size loads is, is the best way to do that 
changing your swath width or is it changing your speed? How, how do you recommend doing that or are both of those equally valid methods? I think they're both equally valid. So <clears throat> in an ideal situation, there's still, you know, still a lot of machines out there that only let you do a two point calibration. And, and so again, you know, you're trying to get the, the high flow and then get a lower flow rate. The ideal situation is if you can do four or more points per load. So again, you know, if I'm doing high moisture corn, um, I want to look at, let's just take the, the constant cut width. I want to say I'm going to harvest at six miles an hour. That's the fastest I anticipate traveling. So I'm going to run a quick calibration load, you know, 3,000 pounds, six miles an hour, full header cut width. The next load down, I might do, you know, 3,000 pounds at a five or four mile an hour. And then I drop down to three, maybe drop down to one to two miles an hour to generate that four point or more. Um, so that's kind of the procedure. Cut width versus speed, it really doesn't matter. If you think about it, each one of those scenarios, I want to get that three to 5,000 pounds. So each one, I should be about the same flow through the machine. Uh, it's typically for me, it's whatever's you know easiest for the grower. The one thing I will say is though, you know, when we, when we say varying speed, you want to be a constant speed while you're harvesting that one calibration load. That's the, the key is stability. So that's, that's the only advice I'd give there, but either way you end up with the same result, same amount of time to, to, to grab that amount of grain and get it entered into the system. Sure. And how many times should they be doing this calibration throughout the season? Or do you have any rules of thumb for growers? Well, yeah, it's, I would say a minimum. There's, there's a few things to think about. First is I have to have it for different crops. So if, uh, if I'm doing lot, which is fairly typical here, at least in the Eastern part of the state, high moisture corn, I need to, I need to create a calibration for that. A lot of people switch over to soybeans got to do a calibration for that and then then they'll go back to corn and it'll be lower moisture and we need to do that you know um, actually interestingly a uh, uh, little data out of our friends over at Iowa State noted that if you have a two and a half percent swing in moisture content that could be a five percent error in your yield data so that there's a lot of challenges there because you could have that much of a swing in one field. How do you deal with that? But, um, but again, in general, that's the minimum I would look at doing. And if you can do an extra calibration or two in there, it's worth it. Um, the other thing I would mention is test weight can also have an impact. So if you're, uh, some of the data we collected back when I was at uh, University of Kentucky working in the yield monitor test facility, um, we had two different uh, hybrids of corn. One weighed about 56 pounds a bushel. The other one was 62 pounds per bushel. It's a pretty big swing at the same moisture content, six pounds. That ended up being a two and a half percent error. And so if we calibrated with one and switched over to the other and didn't change anything, it was two and a half percent error. So really, you know, keeping an eye on, on test weights important as well. So if you have hybrids of really different test weight, I would, I would consider that too. And so, you know, you were talking about you may have different moistures within one field, and obviously you can go back and forth between a lot of crops. I mean, is there, is there any way to, to kind of find this best co compromise between time and accurate calibration? Especially since harvest is a, I mean, 
there's logistics and like it's a time crunch, I think, for a lot of growers. It's it's a it's kind of a catch twenty two. You don't want to spend all your time calibrating, you know, <laughs> if you're if you're doing that. You know, we do we see some new technologies out there like active yield from John Deere. That's an on it's basically on the go calibrating, you know, on the machine. You don't need a scale necessarily. Um, so we see new technologies like that coming out that I think help out with that a lot. People could say, okay, I'm I'm switching switching over a new field. I just want to run a new calibration. I don't have to stop and do that with the grain cart. So, um, you know, until that time where that's widely adopted, it's, you know, it's just have to recognize that, you know, I'm, I've got to make that decision of, you know, okay, I've, I've dropped four or 5% in moisture and I'm, I'm still harvesting corn. Maybe it's time to take a new calibration just to update that. Sure. So switching gears a little bit. So if let's say your combine, you're all calibrated. Once you're now harvesting the rest of your field, what are some operational best practices to ensure that your data is coming through to the yield monitor accurately? Yeah, it's a great question. Especially when we're doing on-farm research plots, you want to get the best data you can. We can do a lot with post-processing, but the number one thing I tell people is once you've gotten calibrated and start running, speed changes. Try to minimize any speed change you can because even uh, even though we know we can post-process some of that out, um, just taking that out of the equation is really helpful. You know, try and run at a constant speed. Let the calibration take care of everything else if you've done a decent, you know, low to high flow rate calibration. Um, the second thing I would, I would tell people to think of really about is looking at your header sensor making sure that that is when you lower the header and start cutting crop that's activating appropriately and when you pick it up it's stopping that logging because even even if even if uh, that that system's working and you're you know you're you're dropping 10 20 feet out from the crop you're telling the system I'm harvesting crop there and so if we really want to line up well you know we need to drop that right at that last instant start engaging the crop, pick it up right when I'm out of the crop, make sure that system knows that it's starting and stopping. And that's especially important, you know, as we, as we start the passes and in the passes. The third thing I would get people to think about is, um, and there's some great animations out there on YouTube, Kloss, Deer have these internal simulations of what's going through the machine. Uh, most of the farmers know what, what goes on inside the combine, but just recognizing that there's so many paths that if I'm driving along and I cut one foot, you know, travel path of, of grain, there's at least three or more different passes that that grain could take through the machine before it gets to the mass flow sensor at the top of the clean grain elevator. Um, one of the farmers I worked with um, in the central part of the state, they would actually look at their tailings elevator sensor and try and minimize. And again, they're slowing down a little bit because the more more crop you try and force through the machine, typically that's when you'll see more go through the tailings elevator. But they would actually try and slow down a little bit in their plot areas to try and make sure that they minimize that last path. That's the longest path material is going to take is, is if it, it goes all the way through the machine, goes through the tailings elevator, and it goes right back through the machine again. Um, little things like that could, could make a difference. But, but those are the big things. And of course, moisture sensors are important. We need to check and make sure those are operating normally um, because, again, that's going to give you the idea of marketable yield as you move across the field, which is we really want to see that in the yield maps. Sure. And so, so I guess, you know, for the typical grower out there and, you know, I've talked to a few of the growers that, you know, cooperate with us on research um, about how much they usually spend time 
cleaning their yield data. You know, we've, we've said that we can do a lot post-processing wise. Um, so I guess for the typical grower out there, in what scenarios do you think it's really worth it to spend that time cleaning their data? You know, if they have a particular use case and, you know, if you do think it's worth it for growers to spend time cleaning yield data, what tools would you recommend to them to use for that process? <clears throat> yeah, it's a, a great question. It's a huge, huge answer, I think, for that one. So I'll try and go be as brief as I can. <laughs> the, the definitely, if that, if that data is being used in the future for analysis, for prescriptive maps, nitrogen, whatever, um, I think it's worth it personally to clean the data. You know, if you have, if you've done a really good job, those first few points we talked about, once you get calibrated and you get in the field, speed is minimized, speed changes are minimized, you know, uh, that start at the beginning of the harvest and, you know, a uh, row and at the end really being, being quick with the header, um, you're going to minimize a lot of the errors we want to take out. Now, if, if, in a lot of cases, if you have point rows and you don't have some type of auto swath monitoring on the combine, uh, those point rows are going to generate errors because no, not many people are going to go in and change, manually change cut width, you know, in that 20 or 30 feet of field length. And, and that's going to show up in your errors. But step one is if, if you're using the data and you're not looking at it, you know, if you if you'll take the data out and actually look at each yield map and say, yeah, I don't see a lot of errors. You know, you can you can bring that into farm management software and, and quickly do a, a, a query and see where yield values are really high or really, really low. Um, if you're not going to visually inspect that and you're going to use it in the future, I think that's when we need to do the, the post-processing. You know, you can set in a lot of the farm management software, for instance, uh, you know, we use Ag Leader SMS some. You can go in and set filters and, and filter out some of the data internally, and you can save those and reuse them. We also use Yield Editor software from USDA. Once you get the data extracted out of a program like SMS and you can get it into the right format, you can run that through Yield Editor. It automatically processes a lot of those things. I think that overlap, they've got an overlap filter for point rows in there. I think that's one of the greatest things I've seen. You know, I didn't grow up in Nebraska, and I know everybody thinks that Nebraska has perfectly square fields except the <laughs> circular ones, and that's not true. I just I'll tell people out there, you know, I grew up in, in a – in a state, in an area of the state where the average field size was maybe, you know, 40 acres, 30 acres, really weird shaped fields, um, that you really see it, uh, a lot of swing in those points. So, you know, if you're out there and that's, and you're, and you have a lot of those issues, a lot of point rows, things like that, that's where, again, if you're using that data for a further application, you're going to benefit from, from removing those errors. So. And Yield Editor is, is a freely available software, right? Growers can get that, you know, just from the USDA website and, I know from using it myself, it's pretty. It's a pretty intuitive program to use. Mm -hmm. Yep, and it's great. You can you can view what errors or exist. You know what the filters are pulling out. You can look and see. You know it's always a great step when you're using that software. Is run the automatic filters, let it pull out what it thinks need to be pulled out, and then go in and look. You can say, okay, show me all of the acceleration deceleration errors. If if they're pretty sporadic, you know that it's probably doing its job. If you see a particular filter that it's taking out a huge chunk of data right in one location, that probably needs a little bit more more uh, you know visualization. You need to look at it a little bit closer. True. That's I think that's one of the key things is a lot of the tools today. We almost don't even have to look at the data anymore. We can just dump the data into a program, run it through a system, never really see it. That's when I think we need to take this extra step of the post processing. What different challenges exist for 
the different crops that we use when it comes to yield mapping and measuring that yield? Well, that's a great question. Um, a couple of different challenges that come to mind. <clears throat> One is in corn, <clears throat> and unfortunately, uh, for a lot of folks in the central Midwest, the wind damage they're going to experience for the people that didn't have to go ahead and, and remove that crop uh, down corn is a huge challenge in corn, you know, in the corn crop. Um, you have to slow down. You typically have a lot of losses there if you're in that. That's one of those examples where you, if you, if you haven't calibrated at that low of a flow you expect, you got to go back and do another one at a really, really low flow so you get a good uh, average around that. That's a, and of course, that's, that's nobody wants that situation. In beans, one of the biggest challenges we've seen is they dry down during the day a lot of times. So people, you're really frustrated. I've seen a lot of yield maps where you start out harvesting and then they come back later in the day, the same area, and the yield values are way off. And a lot of times that's moisture related. Again, moisture content affecting, you know, the, the way the grain impacts the plate, different things like that uh, in a mass flow sensor. Um, that's always been a big challenge. Not sure we've ever come up with a great solution for that. Um, but those are two things that come to mind pretty quickly. Sure. And you, you kind of brought up and, and alluded to these different types of yield monitors that are out there with the mass flow sensor that you were talking about. You know, so you have your scales, your mass flow sensors, your optical sensors. And then I guess over in Europe, they kind of have the nuclear, which we don't have here in, in the U.S. But what are the what are the pros and cons of each one of these different yield monitors? And are there any special considerations for those different styles of your yield monitors out there? Yeah, not not having any, any experience, uh, unfortunately, with the, the, the nuclear type yield monitors, but with mass flow and optical, you know, you can get good data from both of them. Um, <clears throat> We've, we've kind of covered the mass flow sensor impact plate style. We've kind of talked about calibration for that. The, the only other consideration, and we've talked about test weight and how that can affect that sensor performance. The only thing uh, I would caution people is if you are using an optical sensor, you probably already know the test weight is critical in the calibration process for that because we're, we're measuring essentially volume flow on the machine now. And then we're calibrating that with a weight, a scale weight. So we need to know what the density of that grain was to go back, you know, into the into the yield monitor. So test weight is imp incredibly critical when it comes to the optical, the the optical flow uh, flow sensors. And you know, most of the times I've, or at least I've heard, when you buy those, you you know, your free gift with that is a little scale where you can take your test weight out in the field. You know, the little bucket. Um, you know, recalling that. To my knowledge, you're not supposed to just take the little bucket and scoop up a lot of grain. You know, there's a you want to kind of fill that very slowly, very evenly, and things like that. Um, little things can make a difference, but um, that'd be the biggest the biggest difference. You know, we've actually seen data from both checked it versus scales. Um, you can on average you can have very good data from both both systems. So you talked about a little bit earlier how important it is to clean your data if you're going to be using it for a later purpose. So when you think about using that yield data, what are the best opportunities for getting value out of that? Yeah, I think just, just understanding where industry is going and service providers, you know, more and more that data is going into future prescriptive efforts. So if it's nutrient removal, people are using it for that. If it's future nitrogen application, you know, we're using it for that. Just the understanding of, you know, and if you have three to five years 
understanding of historically how that crop yield has varied across the field can be a really important part of that. Um, that's that's incredibly powerful. You know, people, as we move forward, just having that baseline with which to compare to, if you can quantify yield variability across your field, you can put a price on that. And now you know what range of, of uh, you know, in other words, economic benefit or cost you have to work in, work within if you're going to, you know, have a solution to what problem. So figuring out what problem it is you're trying to solve, if what, what do I put into that problem? Am I going to have a potential return for it? Um, and, and so to that point, I think the, the on-farm research to me is one of the most powerful tools we have moving forward. And as we've discussed, you know, the precision ag technologies, the GIS analysis, that allows us to do those comparisons every year. We could be out in the field doing small plots here and there to test out different management strategies. And we have to have as good a yield data as we possibly can to make sure we have a lot of confidence in the results we get from those. But that really tells us, you know, hey, I made a change this year, but, you know, it didn't didn't pay off. I'm not going to try that again. Or or maybe it did. And I can I can move forward with that in the future. So when you talk about also like farmers using their own data, can you speak on at all like what companies are doing with yield data if they get access to your personal data? Well, unfortunately, a lot of that would be speculation. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there, there's, yeah, we, I, I'd have to speculate too much with, um, with what some of the, the folks are doing out there. But um, we know that there's power in, for instance, aggregated data, um, you know, some of the companies that are <clears throat> that are remotely logging data are, are able to use that to learn about their hybrids, their crop protection techniques, all these different things. Um, so it's all part of this big, this future of big data and agriculture and, and can companies, you know, if they're collecting data from a, a wide geographic region, you know, they know the rate of seed, the type of seed, as much more information they can collect of what happened during the year. Um, they can use that to improve their products or maybe the recommendations. That that's what you hope to see. Um, so, yeah, it's it's hard to say exactly what they're doing, not not being privy to some of those discussions. But but again, there's a lot of there is a lot of value um, in that aggregated data. And I. I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but I but I think my my opinion is precision ag data on farms is much more valuable than what we're leading it on to be. You just think about what it takes, the investment to do a research study in some of these fields. Uh, if we could if we can turn the farmers' fields into those, which is what we're seeing out there. Um, in other words, we can log all the information, what went in, when, where, every input. We can monitor the output. Um, we can monitor weather data pretty, pretty, pretty well remotely now. Um, imagine the value of that, replacing all these research studies with, with precision ag technology. That's a lot of value. So personally, I think uh, you know, that's something we need to, need to think about and talk more openly about in the future. Especially when growers really value that full field data versus plot data. You know, people are really skeptical sometimes of plot data. So mm -hmm. that's good to hear too. Yeah, it's absolutely critical to be at production scale, mm -hmm. you know, to convince somebody that something works. 
Um, and, and you've you've kind of already been alluding to this, the, the big data future of, of agriculture um, and how yield data can pertain to that. But what are some other things that we may see coming, you know, within yield data in the future as far as uh, kind of yield data sharing technologies, um, you know, machine tracking technologies within the field, machine to machine communication? Um, and, you know, I, I guess even in other crops like cotton, you know, what may be some of the yield technologies that are coming down the pipeline. I know there seems like there's been some innovation there in recent years. So, yeah, you know, they have essentially flow sensors now for cotton harvesters. So they're able to do some site specific management with uh, in cotton as well now. So I think, you know, we're going to continue to see a push for improving the quality of the yield data. And, um, you know, we're going to start to see efforts at at subheader width estimates of yield. And we've already, you know, we've seen some research, you, you know, you can you can go out and look at patents that have been, you know, applied and awarded to companies that there's information there that hasn't been really commercially made available yet. You know, that gets that gets typically filed pretty early. Um, you know, how do we how do we break down a you know a, a 12, 16 row header and and maybe use imagery or, or some other machine vision type technology to to break that down and say, well, we could actually look look a little bit, you know, more a higher resolution at what's going on on that machine. We know the total flow. Let's try and scale that a little bit across the header. Um, I know, you know, I, I have a lot of uh, uh, friends over in, you know, the agronomics and plant sciences, and I know they would love to see more resolution in some of that data, you know, not just, you know, longitudinally as we move through the field, but laterally as well. And so, um, I think we're going to see some some push, but it's been great. You know, the, the data quality piece has been really challenging as we look at the future, which is going to have artificial intelligence in it, machine learning techniques. You know, you cannot say enough about data quality. And, and a lot of the literature that I've read would tell you that most of the projects that fail, it's because of data related, you know, and quality issues. So as we look more for those uh, techniques to take off, you know, data quality has got to be number one. Garbage in, garbage out. That's the saying. <laughs> That's so. Mm -hmm. so that was a lot of awesome information. Uh, so to tie it all together, what would be the biggest piece of advice or message you want to leave the listeners with? Well, the the one thing I would I would do I would say is you know don't don't be afraid to reach out if you need assistance with anything at all. Um, you know, especially the the group, you know, the digital ag group in, in, in Nebraska Extension, you know, we're, we're working for the university. Um, we're always willing to help out if, if it's an issue with, you know, calibration or I've got a data issue. You know, we, we learn when with with the folks that are out there that we work with. And so, um, you know, we've always prided ourselves on being as unbiased a source as we possibly can. And I, I think we all do a great job of that. And so that's the main thing is just, you know, don't be afraid to reach out if you have questions, if you're interested in something, you know, if you're listening to this, that you're, you're interested in something. So um, don't be afraid to reach out to any member of the team and, and see, you know, if there's something we can help with. Yeah, that'd be my one piece of advice is, um, you know, don't, don't hesitate to reach out to folks for uh, assistance. And we'll put Dr. Luck's email and contact in the show notes for any of you guys who want to reach out. Thank you again to Dr. Joe Luck for joining us on the Farm Bits podcast. As his students, we talked to him often about yield data quality for on-farm research, but we still managed to learn a lot of new information from that interview. 
Personally, I really enjoyed when he talked about how those yield maps are being used for things like prescription maps or multi-year analysis of field patterns. For sure, and following on your favorite part, Sam, I thought his discussion of the interaction between harvesting practices in the field and how those relate to the importance of post-processing your yield data for future use is really important information for people to consider, especially during this harvest time that we're in right now. So we hope that you join us next week as we do our first Farmer Focus episode. We are heading out to the field to hear from a few farmers and learn about their technology use during harvest. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Bids podcast. We would like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. If you enjoyed this episode and it sounds like something you'd listen to each week, subscribe to the podcast and set your notifications to let you know each time we release a podcast. We would love to hear from you with your feedback. So if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email at nedigitalag at unl.edu, on Twitter at nedigitalag, or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. See you next week on another episode of Farm Bits.